0: So we're in Acts chapter 18 today and if you're visiting with us we have been in a series through the book uh, through parts of Acts looking at the different churches and how some of them started and how God was working through Paul and others in the life of those churches and looking at how that challenges us and how that should challenge us as a church so that's what we're doing today and so I got a question to ask you as we start this morning though have you ever been tired Now you're like, that's a ridiculous question, (laughs) and we're probably, half of us are tired right now. I just spent the weekend at an elder retreat where all of the staff and pastors and elders were together, and we went to bed at like midnight on Friday night, and up at six o'clock, and I'm like, I don't do that much anymore, (laughs) you know, and uh, we were tired, but had a great time of talking and strategizing and praying, and I just want you to know, if you are a member here, we prayed through, by name, the entire member list uh, at Rock Hill. Uh, for all the campuses. And man, that was just a cool, cool experience as the elders to go through the list and pray for every member by name. And um, uh, I just want you to know that you've been prayed for and, and we love you and we gather together as elders to try to figure out how to lead and guide. So I'm a little tired this morning. So if I get a little, this will happen. If I get on a tangent like I'm doing right now, it's not my fault. It's the tiredness, okay? But you've been tired before. How about, How about Dead tired? How about what we call bone tired? How about brain tired? That's what I call it sometimes. How about emotional tired? How about just plain old exhausted? How about spiritually tired? Or even in the world we live in today, spiritually anxious and afraid. The kind of tired in which you feel like maybe you just want to give up because it's just too much, it's too hard. Or like Your life, the other side of it that causes us to feel that way sometimes is like life isn't going right or like the things that I'm doing in my life don't seem to really matter. Maybe it's all for nothing. Maybe it's just pointless. Maybe all the things that I'm trying to do, sharing the gospel, living faithfully, it doesn't really even matter. Sometimes we get to places like that. And sometimes we get such strong pressures outside of us that we feel like that. Here's where we're at in our passage today. The Apostle Paul, he's on the move again. Just kind of think about where he's been. And every time he goes somewhere, something gets riled up, some trouble comes on him, and the pressures are hard and heavy, and he sometimes has to leave and move to the next destination. And that's what's happened here. He's on the run, so to speak. And he's moved from Athens, and last week we talked about he was in this city that had idols just everywhere and hundreds and hundreds of gods that they were worshiping. And it was this place of just massive ideas coming together and wrestling with ideas. So, And they were so concerned with pleasing all the gods that they even made a statue to the unknown god just so they didn't miss any. That's where he came from, this place of ideas and thought and places where people wanted to get together and debate, and then it was like again hundreds and hundreds of gods that they worshiped through idols now he 's going to Corinth, which is a different picture it's it 's a it 's a center for commerce, and what 's happening in this place it 's one of the most immoral cities in the New Testament, just like chaos going on around him moral chaos, sexual chaos, um, lots of prostitution uh, it's just it 's just a place where morality is just Accepted, All kinds of immoral things are just accepted as normal. And so Paul moves from this place of sitting down and reason and thought to this place of just follow your desires and just do whatever you want to do. And so there he is, and he's in that kind of place. It's a prosperous place. It's a wealthy place. But it's very, very immoral, but extremely diverse because of all the trade routes that go through it. So Paul finds himself there now. And you talked about last week where we talked about contextualizing. Now he's in a whole different context. And this is where we find him. Verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade... He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade like he was. So he goes to this new city. He meets these two people, Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. And here's a little side note that uh, this is a whole different sermon, but a little side note. There's a great picture here of Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife working together for kingdom work. And if you want to spend some time, some time coming back and looking at that, it's a re- beautiful picture. It's a husband and wife that are working together together. Uh, with a common focus on serving the Lord together. But what happened to them is that they are living in Rome, and Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. What we think is, we have some historical records of this, which is really interesting, these ancient references that talk about, it sounds like somebody named Christos. Who does that maybe sound like? Christ, Christ Christos. And the Jews, people who followed this Christos, and the Jews were having conflict in Rome. And so we believe that this was the Christian church in Rome was being persecuted by, the, by Jews because of their faith in Christ. And, and uh, Claudius got so tired of it, he just kicked them all out. He said, you all are leaving. And so he kicked them out of Rome, and many of them ended up in Corinth. And that's where Priscilla and Aquila found themselves, followers of Jesus, expelled from Rome, now living in Corinth. But Paul had something really interesting. He had something in common with him. And here's just one of those pictures of contextualizing. You look for what you have in common with people. And he was a tent maker by trade. So here's this Pharisee with like a PhD essentially. But also in that culture in that time. They were taught to have a trade where they could work with their hands. And so here's this guy who's this scholar. Who is also a tent maker by trade. And he would often do that to provide for himself. He would work with his hands. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. And so now they have this common bond, Christ, and this uh, common trade. And so he comes alongside them and works with them while he's there. And then he did what he's done every time we've looked at Paul in, in the book of Acts, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So the synagogue was his place. I want you to keep that in mind. The synagogue was his place of where he would interact and connect with people and talk about his faith. So he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. I love this picture because he's not just sitting there reasoning, he's actually trying to persuade people to think about Christ in a different way. And so when we're talking with people, it is okay to try to persuade people to see Christ for who he is. And that's what he's doing, he's trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that that, uh, Christ was Jesus. Remember his message? It's always about Jesus. So he's reasoning in the synagogue where the open door for his ministry is. He came there to persuade them to believe. He had an agenda. He had a purpose. And what was he trying to persuade them to believe? That Jesus was the Christ. Listen, you guys. This is one of those things I'd like you to remember today. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's always Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Everywhere he goes, what he's trying to do is tell people about who Jesus is. That Jesus is the focus. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. We looked in the previous passages that Jesus had to suffer. That he had to die. That he had to be raised from the, get, from the dead. It's always about Jesus. We can get really distracted by a lot of rabbit trails. And the older I get and the more I look back at all the things and all the distractions I've experienced in my life, all those things that seem so good, but sometimes it got me distracted from the one central thing, and that's just simply telling people about Jesus. As I'm finishing up, it's, hard, it's weird to think like this, but I'm at that place where I'm supposed to be thinking like this, that the journey is getting shorter than it used to be. <laughs> that's a polite way of saying I'm older, all right? or I'm old, however you want to say it. The journey's getting shorter. And I just want it to be about telling people about Jesus. I just want to be focused on telling people that Jesus is the Christ. And as that song we were singing, there's awesome, awesome good news in that, that your sins can be forgiven, that your life can be transformed. It's all about Jesus. And I want to kind of get to this place where Paul is, where Paul is simply saying, Jesus is the Christ. Do you want to follow him? All right, time for me to enter into discipleship. You say no? Okay, when you change your mind, here I am, but I'm moving on to minister to the next person. That's That's what Paul is going to do here. All of the ills in the world, all of the things that we see going on in the world today will be resolved when people come to faith in Jesus. The transformation that comes when Jesus transforms a person is way bigger than anything else that the world can do. But Paul's message was crystal clear and laser focused. Jesus is the Christ. And then, like always, this is what happens. And when they opposed and reviled him, verse 6, he actually did something we haven't seen before. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hand. I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Jews. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. So this isn't just you and me who sometimes get ticked off and frustrated with something. This is him being led by the Holy Spirit to say, okay, you're not listening. I'm going over here because I want to be laser focused about the rest of my journey, Paul's saying, which is going to be shortened. And I want it to be about one thing, telling people about Jesus. And so Paul essentially moved on from those who didn't want to receive the message. Now, I would always I would argue this, there's never a time when we stop loving people. But there are times when God wants us to steward the message of the gospel and move to soil that's ready to receive the gospel. Let me say that again. There are times when God wants us to steward the message that we have of the gospel and to move to soil that's ready to receive the gospel. We see this in a number of places in the New Testament. We get the parable of the soil in Mark chapter 4, where it falls on the wrong kind of soil and it won't bear fruit. We see it in Matthew 7 where he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. And what he's really talking about is, you've taken this message to somebody who doesn't want anything to do with it. Don't keep going back there over and over again. Bring it to somebody that wants to hear it. John chapter 6, if you ever want to read a fascinating chapter, it's John chapter 6. And Jesus gets into some really hard teaching at the end of it. And he tells people, you have to to eat my flesh and drink my blood, because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And at the end of the passage, it says, many no longer followed him. And you know what's really interesting? He turns to his disciples and said, you want to go too? He's inviting them because he wanted to know if they were in and if their soil was really real and that they had received the gospel and it was deep. There are times, and this is what Paul, I can't pass over this in this passage, this is what's happening. There's times when Paul said, I'm moving on because you're resistant to the gospel. Listen, I I have a uh, a philosophy that I think is from the Bible, and it's how I try to do ministry, but we call it, and I've shared it with you before, faithful, available, and teachable. The Apostle Paul was looking for those who were faithful. John chapter 6, the disciples said, no, we're going to follow you because there's no place else to turn, okay? The faithful said, we're following you even when your teachings are hard. The available, Jesus came along the shore of Galilee, and he saw The brothers fishing, and he said, come follow me. And they said, okay, Dad, we're leaving our nets. And Dad was like, hey, there's work to do here. And they took off, and they followed Jesus. Teachable. In 2 Timothy, he talks about, teach these things to reliable people who will teach others. So Paul is looking for those who are faithful, who are going to be faithful to the gospel that he was preaching, that were available and open to believe, and that were teachable, that he could train them up and teach them more. Now, before I move on from that piece, I I want to ask you this question. Are you those three things? It's easy for us to say, I'm going to look for that as far as who I invest my life in. But are are we those three things? Are you those three things? Are you faithful? Are you available? Are you teachable? Because Paul's going to teach some hard things. And he wanted to know if people were going to be able to say, yeah, I can do that. The hardest thing he was teaching right here, that Jesus was the Christ. And they said, no way, we're not accepting that. So there are those moments. Now, we're going to go past that, but there are those moments when the Spirit's going to lead you to say, you know what? I think I need to move over here. Listen, when I was in... This is is my rabbit trail now, okay? When I was playing sports in high school, I was captain of my high school football team. I was wanting to lead the star running... We had 2,000-yard rushers in uh, in our backfield. They both rushed for 1,000 yards. They were great running backs. I thought, if I could lead them to Christ, man, we're going to get the whole team. The Lord had... The fourth string center and the power tackle. Those were the two guys that I got the chance to lead to Christ. Okay, The two running backs never did come to Christ, and I still pray for them. But, but you see what I'm saying? I could have spent all my time going, but these are the guys. Come on and shake and try to wake them up and get them to believe. Or I could have gone over to a man who's now one of my best friends and who's my accountability partner, the power tackle, who was kind of a wild, crazy man that I never thought would come to Jesus. <laughs> He was too busy driving his Camaro and partying. (laughs) He came to Jesus, and he's a leader in the church now. And I could have said, and sometimes I did do this, this is who I want to come to faith. This is who I want to witness to, instead of who Jesus had been preparing. And so I just want to challenge you to think about who you're investing your life in and who you're sharing the gospel with and, and look for those who are faithful, available, and teachable. We never give up on anybody. We never stop loving them. But where did I put my time and energy later? Discipling my two friends, my power power tackle and the fourth string junior center. Discipled them because they were faithful, available, and teachable. So Paul is in this crisis. People aren't responding. So he says, I'm just going to wash my hands and move on. But we're going to see something that's kind of cool because people did respond. So here's what happens. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So he goes to his house. He lives next door to the synagogue. Listen to this. The synagogue, the place of Jewish worship in Corinth, this is what happened. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Everybody else said, we're not listening. We're driving you out of here, Paul, except for the leader of the synagogue. He believed in the Lord. Together with his whole house, he came to faith and his whole house came to faith and many of the corinthians hearing paul believed and were baptized just what we're doing today today we have four people that are being baptized that's really awesome it's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor paul thinking that i'm just washing my hands of these people oh wait a minute christmas the leader of the synagogue comes to faith and then his whole house hard to believe that that happened he believed in the Lord and his entire house. And then it tells us many other Corinthians did too. They heard Paul and believed and were baptized. So there's Paul going, man, I've just had enough of this. They're driving me out. They don't want me to hear the gospel. And then all of a sudden you got Christmas going, well, me and my family, I think we're in. Oops, there's some other people. Hey, I think we're in. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Paul's just doing his thing. And then God does his thing. That's the point. Paul's doing his thing, being faithful, being obedient. Then God does the rest of it. But then the Lord says this and does this with Paul in verse 9. So picture it, Crispus, the whole household, many others had come to faith from the synagogue. But there's been trouble, and trouble follows Paul everywhere he goes. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Now stop, and if you've lost me, kind of come back and use your imagination for a moment. Here's this great leader of the church, He's been doing his ministry, trying to be faithful, getting worn down, getting beat up. He's been persecuted. He's actually physically been beaten before. And the Lord meets him in a vision. This is just a beautiful picture. And he says, don't be afraid. But go on speaking and don't be silent, for I'm with you. No one's going to attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I just want you to hear this this morning. The Lord meets Paul. The Lord meets us. The Lord meets us when we need him to meet us. And in this case, he meets Paul in a vision. And he says to Paul, Listen, man, you've been faithful, and now you're in this city. And he says, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think some of you need to hear this this morning. I don't know who you are. But I can tell you this, fear and anxiety are such a big part of the culture that we live in. I know some of you need to hear this morning, do not be afraid. And listen, listen to this. When, when Jesus is saying this to Paul, he's not rebuking him. He's strengthening him. This is the beautiful part. He's not saying, come on, Paul, don't be afraid. He's saying, Paul, don't be afraid. I got gotcha. you. I'm here with you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. That You're dealing with fear and anxiety And you think Jesus is standing up there scolding you. And Jesus wants you to know you don't have to be afraid because he's got you. Just like he had Paul 2,000 years ago. And he meets Paul there. And he strengthens Paul with that vision. Some of you need to be strengthened this morning. And he strengthens him by telling him, keep speaking, don't be silent. Why? Why should he not be silent? Because Jesus says, I'm with you. That's why you shouldn't be silent. I got you. I got your back. I'm carrying you. You're in this situation. You were so discouraged that you said, I'm washing my hands of this place. And yet, many had come to faith. So he said, you just keep speaking. You don't be silent. I am with you. And then in his case, he's saying, nobody is going to attack you even you got nothing to worry about moving forward here in the next number of months. Now, Paul will get attacked at another periods in his journey. But in this stage, he's saying, don't worry, you will not be attacked. And then he says this really powerful thing. There are many in this city who are my people. Now, listen to this. This is something that is one of our distinctives at Rock Hill. We don't hammer away at it or preach on it all the time. But whenever the text takes us there, that's where we go. I want you to hear from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, so you can understand what Jesus is saying to Paul when he says, there are many in this city who are my people. This is what Ephesians says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in, in the beloved. Jesus is reminding Paul, and in Corinthians, what he's, Paul's going to teach in Ephesians as well, that there are those chosen or predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters that were living in Corinth. There were people that were just waiting for the message of the gospel to get to them and they were living right in Corinth waiting to hear the gospel so he can't be silent because Jesus is telling him, I got a whole bunch of people that are going to come to faith. Paul, you do your part, I'll do my part. (laughs) You tell them and I'll quicken their spirit and open their hearts so that they can receive me. And it's a beautiful picture and the beauty of it is, he says, don't worry about the results, Paul. I'll take care of that. You worry about proclaiming the gospel. Keep speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. Listen, the next time you have an opportunity to share the gospel, don't be silent. (laughs) Speak it. And don't be afraid because God's with you. He's going to help you do it. And man, this is what drives me, that there are those in Duluth who don't know Jesus yet, who God has called already, And God has chosen them, and we proclaim the gospel to them, and God will do the work. His spirit will then open up their hearts, and they will respond. That's a beautiful picture, I think. Makes our work a whole lot easier. I just got to be faithful. The spirit and power of the living God will do the rest of the work. There are many who are going to come to faith. I like to think like this sometimes, so I invite you to think like this a little bit, too. Look around at the seats that we have here. we got these extra 40 seats, so we got room for at least another 40, right? And we've got space in here. And guess what? In the next year, I'm expecting that there will be people sitting next to us that will be new believers in Jesus, that will have put their faith in Christ through the ministry of the people of this church, through the relationships we have and the friendships that we have and the connections that we have. People are going to come to faith in Christ, and we're going to have a brother or sister sitting next to us that we don't even know yet. That's super awesome. (laughs) I mean, that's super encouraging because God is going to do his work. He's just asking us to do our part. Don't be afraid. Speak it. Don't be silent. God is with you. Crispus and his whole household came to faith. And many others in Corinth. And it's not done yet. So then it tells us in verse 11 that he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He put down some roots for a while. He, he settled in, and he stayed there. for That's kind of an extended period of time for Paul, a year and a half, and he's teaching and he's speaking. And then everything goes perfectly well, and he goes off into the sunset, and all is, all is good. No, it's not the way it works. This is what happens. This is what happens next. Verse 12, but when Galileo who was pro of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. Oh, they're not done yet. <laughs> and they make an attack, and they brought him before the tribunal. So now they, they get together, they strategize, they say, here's how we're going to get this guy, and they drag him in front of the political part of the system, the tribunal, and they're saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth and defend himself, this Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, (laughs) I don't know why that makes me laugh, but he's like, if he'd done something really horrible, oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I'm not dealing with it. I refuse to judge these things. And he drove them out of the tribunal. So he says, I'm not dealing with this because this is a religious thing and I'm a political leader. And so they bring this accusation and they're trying to persuade uh, uh, this, this political leader to do something to Paul. And he just says, get out of here. I'm not listening to this. Now, this guy is really kind of a problem because he's, you're going to see in just a few verses, he's so indifferent, he doesn't really care about justice at all. And so he kicks them out and says, I don't want to hear it. He just doesn't want to deal with things. And then this is what happens. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. So while there, he says, just get out of here. You guys deal with it. I don't want nothing to do with it. They grabbed the new leader of the synagogue, Sosthenes, and they all start beating on him right in front of this political leader. And he's like, I'm not dealing with you guys. And he essentially, like just picture something like that happening right here, and he just turned and walked away. And this poor guy, Sosthenes, gets beat up. Now here's an interesting thing. Second leader of the synagogue, right? Crispus, leader of the synagogue, becomes a believer, steps down. Sosthenes is now the leader of the synagogue. We don't know how much time has gone from this first one to the next one. But if you have your Bibles with you and you care to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, guess who we see in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1? Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Another ruler of the synagogue coming to faith in Christ. It's an amazing picture where Paul is thinking, I'm just done, I'm washing my hands. Two leaders of the synagogue come to faith in Jesus. Now, Sosthenes, he gets beat up, he pays a price. And it says, after this, after seeing, just think of all the things Paul's seeing here and experiencing here and why, the, why Christ had to show him in a vision that he shouldn't be afraid and that he should continue to speak because there's going to be some really rough things that happen in front of him. After this, it says, Paul stayed many days longer and then he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Ses- Caesarea, he had his hair cut for he was under a vow. So- We're not going to get into that today, but he had made some kind of a vow. We think maybe a Nazarite vow. And then they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue, there it is again, and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. This time they wanted him to stay, but he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus, and he landed in Caesarea, and he went up and greeted the church, and they went down to Antioch. So here's his pattern again. I want you to hold on to that idea of the synagogue. That was his place. That was his space. That's where he was most comfortable and confident with. That's where he knew how to go in there and and have these discussions. So that's the pattern again. He goes into the synagogue. He made some sort of vow, maybe a Nazarite vow of the Old Testament. We won't get into all that today. Um, So that's why he waits there and he gets his hair cut. And then he went into the synagogue and he reasoned. And this time he doesn't feel led to stay. This time the spirit is telling him not to stay and to move on to another place. So in both cases, he's listening to the spirit and the spirit's guiding him with one single purpose to proclaim the message that Jesus is the Christ. That was Paul's life. Jesus is the Christ. And he wanted everybody to know it. Lately I've been finishing my messages before I go to application of what's my pastoral burden. Um, When you preach, you preach with hopefully a pastoral burden, something from the passage, some things from the text that lay on your heart as a pastor that I want you to know that this is what I'm burdened by when when I preach and when I go through this passage. And so here's my pastoral burden from this passage. First, that we would keep speaking the gospel. It is my burden that we would all take it upon ourselves to say, I need to be one who speaks the gospel to people. That we would keep speaking it and not be afraid and stop. That's what Christ was saying to Paul. Don't be afraid. Don't stop speaking the gospel. So my burden from this passage is that we would keep speaking the gospel. My burden is that we would keep displaying the gospel. That we would be living it out in such a way that somebody might actually go, you're living your life a little bit differently. Can we talk about that? And now the opening to share the gospel and to speak the gospel, they go hand in hand. It's my pastoral burden that we would not be silent and that we would not be afraid and that we would be strategic with our time and our gifts. We've been given the the gift of the gospel and I need to be strategic in how I'm using that and where I'm sharing it so that when I run into the place that is resistant I don't stop loving, like I've said, but I move and find a place that the Spirit is working in. And so my pastoral burden is that that we would do this, that we would take an inventory of our lives and look for the faithful, available, and teachable, that we would be more intentional with our relationships, that we would look for those who are faithful, available, and teachable, and invest there. And then if you are in Christ today, my pastoral burden is that you would know that you are not alone. And your ministry for the go- cause of the gospel will not be in vain. If you felt that and think that and it's gone through your head, I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you are not alone and your ministry will not be in vain. Christ will, will do the work that he says he will do. So I don't want you to be in despair and believe that it doesn't matter. All right, so let's wrap up this morning with just some practical application. What do we do with this then? If this is true, what do we do with it? Here it is. Inventory the synagogue. That's why I wanted you to hang on to this. Inventory the synagogue that God has placed you in. Wherever you are at any given moment, that's your synagogue. This is the place that you should reason with others about Christ. So wherever your place is, wherever you find yourself, look for the faithful, available, and teachable. And invest in them and share the gospel with them and build connection with them but looking and being more intentional, your synagogue is wherever you find yourself. And looking for those faithful, available, and teachable. I used to go to the same gas station for four years. Joe worked at the gas station. Joe was a, a, an attendant who, one day I asked her how she was doing. Go in there every day, grab coffee, I had a long commute. One day she said, not so good, my mom's sick. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Joe. Next day, I come through, Joe, how's your mom doing? Next day, come through, and before those years went by, Joe and I started having conversations, standing on the gas line. Now, I tried to move along if somebody was behind me. I was trying to be a good guy that way, too. But the point is, that was my synagogue for that moment. And guess who was faithful, available, and teachable? Joe behind the counter. And so Joe and I would talk about the Lord. One Easter, I come by, we had some booklets that were given out. Joe, can I give you this? And Joe took it. Joe and I never got to a place where I can tell you with confidence that she came to faith in Christ, but I can tell you with confidence she heard the gospel. And she was faithful, available, and teachable, and was open and wanted those conversations. I invite you to look at your synagogue and find those people. Finally, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to not be afraid. Sometimes we don't share the gospel because of the fear of sharing the gospel. Sometimes there's just other kinds of fear that is controlling us. I'm going to invite you to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to not be afraid. I'm going to invite you to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to speak and not be silent. That it would be the spirit of the living God that would compel you to speak and not be silent. I'm going to invite you to pray that you can entrust your safety into God's hands instead of being fearful about what's going to happen to you, that you put it in God's hands like Paul did, like Paul was told to do. I'm going to invite you to pray and encourage you to pray that you would believe that there are many in our city who belong to the Lord. That's one of my passions for us today, is that you would pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to truly believe that there are many who are needing to hear the gospel and who are going to believe. Instead of going, ah, oh, this is the place that unchurched part of the country, people don't want to hear the gospel. Don't believe that? That's a lie. <laughs> the Spirit of the Living God is telling us something different, that there are many in this community that are going to respond to the gospel. So let's take it to them and share it. Finally, I want you to hear this. Trust that your labor is not in vain. Jesus is with us. I want you to trust that when you're out there trying to display the gospel, when you're out there trying to declare the gospel, when you're out there feeling like nobody wants to hear the gospel, when you're out there and ten people said no to the gospel, your labor is not in vain. Jesus is with you. And Jesus will take and do the work from your labor. If you've ever had a chance to lead somebody to faith in Christ, you know that it only takes one To make you go, wow! That was so awesome and so worth it. You may never lead another person to Christ. You led one person to Christ. You know that that is an experience that you want to have again. And guess what? Somebody led you into Christ. Somebody labored and shared with you. Anybody resist at some point in your journey? So you know, you know what it's like to be the resistor. Right? Listen, this is good news. Paul had a vision from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, don't be afraid. The Lord said, keep speaking the gospel. Because there are many who are going to hear. And I want you to rejoice in that. And be excited about getting to be a part of that. You know, we were talking at our retreat. That one of the things that Pastor Kyle wanted just to drive home and remind us again one of the things that's always been Rock Hill has been about is that we believe that the church should be about sharing the gospel with people that some churches feel like their role is to just edify the believer which is part of our role it's really important and just hold on tight until Jesus comes back but we believe that we're supposed to be out sharing the gospel with people and that's an expectation of who we are as a church That we want to see people come to faith. We want to see conversion growth. We, We want to see these seats filled with new believers. And so I'm just going to challenge you with it today. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest in your life. But would you hear my challenge this morning? It's more than a challenge. It's a plea. It's a desire to say, man, there are people that are lost. And the gospel is good news. And we've got it. So go share it.